Now turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. Now we're in John chapters 14 to 17. The setting is the night before Jesus' death. The Lord Jesus has shared the Passover meal with his disciples. Judas has left. Judas, as John records, went out into the dark to betray Jesus. And Jesus is alone with the remaining 11 disciples and is teaching them with an urgency. The shadow of the cross looms large. Jesus is instructing them and caring for them. The chapters give us an astonishing insight into the character of Jesus, about to go and die, and yet faced with the enormity of that, the physical and the far greater spiritual agony he must bear. His concern is to comfort his disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me and believe in God. Now, what has Jesus been teaching in chapter 14, which is as far as we've got? What he's been teaching so far is two things. One, that he, Jesus, is going to the cross and then to the Father in order that we might have an eternal future with him. Jesus is going to the cross, then to the Father, that he might come and take us to be with him. And so Jesus teaches the necessity of the cross, and in so doing, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the first thing Jesus teaches them is that he is going through the cross to the Father. The second thing Jesus has taught so far is that after he has gone to the cross and then to his Father, he will give us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of Christ, who will live in the believer, assuring us and changing us and gifting us and enabling us. Jesus will leave us in the world as his witnesses with everything we need for that commission. And now at the beginning of chapter 15, he shifts tack slightly. He has said where he is going, to the cross and then the Father. He has said what he will give us for the task ahead, the Holy Spirit. And now at the beginning of verse 15, he begins to speak about the task that we are to engage in, what we are to do when he is gone. Now, the shift in emphasis is signaled in the text right at the end of chapter 14. If you see that, Jesus' words, rise, let us go from here. It may be that Jesus' teaching that follows in chapters 15 to 17 is in the same place in the room where they are gathering. And the sense, I think, of what Jesus is saying is, come on, let's go, but I've got a bit more to say before we go. Or maybe he did leave and carried on the teaching as they walked together in the night. Maybe he taught them as he walked past 
the temple entrance with the carving of the vine on it. Or maybe he taught them as they walked past a vine grove as they crossed the Kidron Valley into the holy city of Jerusalem. Listen then to what Jesus says, chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Well, let's pray briefly that God will help us understand uh, what is not simple, but a wonderful passage of Scripture. Our Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher and that we will understand the rich stuff that is in this portion of your Word. Father, we pray that if we're not yet convinced Christians would understand all that it means to be in Christ. So speak to us, each of us, we ask, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, if you have a look at the back of the service sheet, let me just try and explain to you the logic of where Paul, uh, Paul that was this morning, John, uh, is going in this chapter. In fact, Paul wasn't this morning. That was last Sunday. <laughs> Dear me. So this is, this is the logic, and it's a wonderful logic. Bearing fruit that lasts is our commission. How do we do that? Not in our own strength, 
We do that by abiding in Jesus. How do we abide in Jesus? Through obeying his words and praying, and thereby, and Roger touched on this last week, experiencing love and joy. One of the most profound connections we have seen in John is that the words of Jesus and obedience to them is the way that we experience fullness in the Spirit, fullness of his love and fullness of joy. Some of you will heard, and we're delighted that somebody in the church has become a Christian over the last week, a girl from Japan. It's wonderful. What strikes me is that the four Sundays she has been with us have been Sunday mornings in 1 Timothy. In some ways, you would think, how on earth could someone become a Christian listening to that? The answer is here, because through obeying my words, you experience love and joy. That's what Paul means in Timothy when he speaks about the church being the pillar and the buttress of truth. Never hear truth as harsh or authority, which it is. The authority of Jesus' words are the means of the deepest love and the deepest joy. Now, let me see if I can show you this logic. Bearing fruit that lasts, that's the stuff we are to do. What is it that we are to do when Jesus is gone? Answer, we are to bear fruit that lasts. Uh, we could say that the church's job, a church like Chalmers, is to do a lot of things. Jesus says in the urgency of these last hours of his life, you are to bear fruit that lasts. The phrase bear fruit peppers the text, verses 2 and 4 and 5. Verse 8 by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and you appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or last. And in the context of Jesus' teaching here in John, that means fruit that will last for eternity. Fruit without a sell-by date for eternity. Let me illustrate it like this. Imagine you have two sets of stickers, red ones and green ones, and your task is to put red stickers on things that will not last and green ones on things that will last for eternity. I guess you would put red stickers on your house, your car, everything in your house, and the green stickers would be for people, because it is people that last for eternity. Bearing fruit that lasts means investing in people. You'll see on many businesses the logo, Investors in People. It is an award given to businesses 
It is the commission of the Lord Jesus to his church. Now, what does it mean to bear fruit that lasts? What does it mean to invest in people? Bearing fruit that lasts means, in the context of what Jesus teaches here in John, the transformation of our lives as individuals. That's all through this text. Fruit that lasts is fruit in your own life as an individual, or fruit in our corporate life as a church. Just glance back to chapter 14, verse 17, reading from the second half of the verse, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells you, lives in you, God living in you. The gospel not only forgives us, it changes us. The gospel, or Jesus, did not leave us as we are, but fashions us more and more into his likeness. As Christians, we face a daily battle with sin and temptation, but we are being transformed. When you become a Christian, you are delivered from the penalty of sin. There is no condemnation. And you are liberated from the power of sin. There is no more mastery over your life. And one day you will be free from the presence of sin. And that fruit that lasts a transformed life, a life lived in the power of the Spirit, a life patterned on the Word of God, that process, that power in your life that will lead to an eternity without sin, that is fruit that lasts. Let me repeat a conversation I had with someone this week. I was trying to encourage them in the growth in their Christian life. I could see it. I could see the fruit ripening. And their response to my encouragement was that I am daily, monthly, more conscious of my sin. And that's what it will feel like if you are ripening as a Christian. And the reason that we become more conscious of sin is that the Holy Spirit transforming us alerts us to what a wonderful thing it is to be delivered from its penalty and to be free one day from its very presence. It's what reminds us that we are still a long way from home. So if you feel that you are battling with sin, if you feel that your conscience speaks to you daily, then let me encourage you that these are all the signs of your life being transformed in the power of the Spirit. And let me encourage you as your minister that I see in so many of your lives the evidence of transformed living, and that is fruit that lasts. It's fruit that lasts because it shows you that with the Holy Spirit within you, one day you will be so thoroughly transformed for all eternity. There's no sell-by date on your life. There's no end to it. And bearing fruit that lasts in terms of your transformed life will affect others. It creates a community that is altogether different. Bearing fruit that lasts is seen in our love for one another as Christians. Look with me at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Again in verse 17, these things I command you so that you love one another. It is striking that the night before Jesus' death, he is so strong on his commandment 
that the disciples love one another. He's so strong that as a church community, we love one another. Now, the obvious application is the life of the local church. What do people see? What do people experience when they have contact with this community of believers? I heard this morning that someone last Sunday morning asked if they could come in and use the loo. Thankfully, the person said, of course. And they were struck. And that's a tiny, tiny example of just how nice and kind and welcoming people were. And that's just dipping your toe in the door. What a powerful testimony it is of a local church when somebody comes into their context, their fellowship, and say, look how these people love one another. That genuineness of commitment of love, practical care for one another, the practical level of daily life that you see people cooking meals for one another, taking people to hospital appointments, taking them home after they've been in hospital. Simple things, practical things, but genuine Christian love. But more importantly, not to dismiss that, and I don't want you to hear that, but more importantly, even than that, is the desire to love one another such that we grow together as Christians. A desire for genuine discipleship through a local church. So in our small groups, those of you who are leaders of small groups, you should be thinking and praying, what are the battles, what are the struggles people in my small group are struggling with? What is it that I can help them with and pray for them? And that is what you want your leaders to be doing, that we might grow in godliness. And Paul uh, John also speaks, I don't know why I've got Paul in my mind, <laughs> John also speaks about the love for one another in a Christian community in terms of what is behind it. Love one another as I have loved you. Love as you have been loved. How have you been loved? Greater love is no one than this than someone laid down his life for his friends. Real love, you see, is sacrificial, servant-hearted love, even a willingness to suffer for the sake of others. One of the big reasons people are attracted by the gospel is because the way Christians live in community. Don Carson, in one of his books, has a very powerful example. Someone who was at university with him, and he kept engaging with his fellow about the gospel, kept answering his questions, until Carson said he got exasperated with them, and he said, look, let's stop talking. Just come and live in our flat for six months. Now, I think what he meant by that is come and live with Christians. Come and live in a church. And let me encourage you that I would have full confidence in saying to someone, and maybe you're here tonight and you're not normally around a church community, come and be part of this community for six months and ask the question, is it different? Is it attractive? Is it loving? 
I think you'll find it is. And the reason behind it is because these people around you have been loved by the Lord Jesus in extraordinary ways. Bearing fruit that lasts, the transformation of our lives, love for one another, and then love for unbelievers, love for people who are not yet Christians. The best investment we can make as a church family and as individual Christians is in unbelievers, reaching out with the gospel that people might trust in Jesus. One of the things that I'm keen to unpack a little bit in our preaching over the coming months, I think we slightly mispitched with this. The Bible does motivate us to do evangelism by commands. But the greater way to be motivated to do evangelism is by deepening our love for the Lord Jesus, deepening our understanding of who he is in all his majesty, and deepening our love for one another. Evangelism is not a task as much as it is an expression of who we are as Christians. Bearing fruit that lasts, the transformation of our lives, love for one another, love for unbelievers, and then also, and very importantly, giving glory to God. Giving glory to God is bearing fruit that lasts to eternity. If we grow as Christians, if we grow in our love for one another, if we grow in our attractiveness to those who come into this community, if we grow in our commitment to evangelism and missions, in every single one of these aspects, God is glorified. And that is our supreme aim in life. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Bearing fruit means glorifying God. Our vision in Chammers, and it's the vision of every church, uh, reaching, building, training, and sending. There's a bit of our vision that is the vision of every church that we miss out. We often say it's reaching, building, training, and sending, but there is an underpinning clause that is passion for the glory of God. That is so important. It needs perhaps recovered more. Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. These things, verse 11, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that, I, and that your joy may be full. You see the connection to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Reaching, building, training, and sending, investing in people, fruit that lasts to eternity, and to cab it all, to lead it all, to underpin it all, passion for the glory of God. I found this week unpacking a box which I hadn't unpacked from the last house move, my uh, induction and ordination order of service, and a question written on it. I had written on it afterwards, which is the key question when you are ordained as a minister. Are not zeal for the glory of God and the salvation of all people our primary concerns? 
What a great question. Are not zeal for the glory of God and the salvation of all people your chief inducements? That was the question I was asked to enter the office of the holy ministry. Are not zeal for the glory of God and the salvation of all people our chief inducements as a church? Are they not our chief inducements, our primary concerns for whatever ministry we are engaged in? Are they not the chief concerns of us for our families, the salvation of people, and the glory of God? And just for just a moment, forget me saying this, and remember Jesus saying this the night before he died to his apostles, to the future church. Bear fruit that lasts. Bear fruit that lasts. Be transformed by my Spirit. Love one another. Love unbelievers. Give glory to God. Don't get distracted by all manner of other stuff. Give me glory. Bearing fruit that lasts by abiding in me. How are we to bear fruit that lasts? Jesus said abide, or uh, the NIV, I think, has remain in me. Abide in me. And that brings us to the metaphor, the image Jesus uses in these verses of the vine and the branches. Now, I'll assume that not many of you have vines in your gardens, so um, I'll explain. Read with me from verse 1. I am the true vine, Jesus said, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide or remain in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And Jesus goes on emphasizing his point. Verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." Now, the logic, Jesus is the vine. I am the true vine. This is one of the I am statements Jesus uses of himself in John's gospel. These statements express, on the one hand, his divinity. I am is the name for God. Second, the statements express some aspect of Jesus' mission or ministry. I am the true vine. I am the true Israel, Jesus says. I am the person. I am the only person through whom you can have a living relationship with God. I am the only person who is the means of blessing to the nations, to the people of the earth. Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. How do we become branches that are part of the vine that is Jesus? Or to put it more simply, how do you become a Christian? It is important we understand this 
we are engrafted into the vine through Jesus' death on the cross that is ours by faith. We do not become Christians because we bear spiritual fruit. You might bear fruit in life, but you cannot bear the fruit that comes from Christ living in you unless you first come to Christ in faith and receive His Holy Spirit. We become Christians because Jesus died to forgive us, to bring us, to engraft us into the vine that is Himself. And then and only then, because the Holy Spirit indwells us, we can bear spiritual fruit. That is what Jesus is saying, I think, at the beginning of verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The cleansing power of the cross is how we are engrafted into the vine. But once we are in the vine, we have a responsibility to stay close to Jesus, to remain in Him. Verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can Lou unless you abide in me. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We will not bear fruit unless we remain in Jesus, unless we stay close to him. And how true that is, In our lives as Christians or as a church, if we are not close to Jesus, our lives are not fruitful. And if we are close to Him, our lives are fruitful. Fruitfulness comes, and this is the language of verses 9 to 17, when our relationship with Jesus is close and personal. I think intimate is probably the right word in the right sense. Why do I think that? Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. I think it's a great question to hear from the Lord Jesus day in, day out. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The Lord Jesus likes us to say yes. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. The language is personal and intimate. That's what it means to follow Jesus. He is the vine. We are the branches. We become branches. We are grafted into the vine through Jesus' death and the cross. And once we are a branch in the vine, once we are part of the vine, we need to remain in Jesus, to stay close to Him, to keep that close, intimate relationship with Him if we are to bear fruit that lasts. I had another conversation. I've had lots of conversations this week with someone who was saying to me, do I have to come to church twice on a Sunday? And I said, no, no, no. The Bible doesn't say you need to come to church twice on a Sunday. Why would I, they said. Well, because you've 
in the language of this, got two chances to remain close to Jesus that week. I mean, of course, that's a trivial thing, but, but there's no legalism in it. It's the blessing we sometimes get, and you sometimes get that. Maybe you've been at church this morning, and you're kind of knackered tonight, and you've slept through the whole of the sermon till now, and you've just woken up. And isn't it an encouragement sometimes to come at night? And, and it's different often. And that reminder, just to stay close to Jesus and how worth that is. Now, what do we make of the gardener here in his gardening? Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. If anyone does not abide, verse 6, in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. I'm no gardener. My wife is better. Not brilliant. Somebody here tonight, I'm not going to embarrass you, have promised to help us plan the man's garden. Gardening, so I'm told, involves things like pruning the roses once a year, cutting them right back, and that takes some nerve. But of course, it makes them fruitful the next year. And gardening also involves, so I'm told, pulling up the weeds, getting rid of the dead shrubs. Not the live ones that just happen not to be flowering, and I've made that mistake on three occasions. Now, what Jesus is talking about here is branches that are true believers and branches that, while they might look like true believers, are not. And let me be really straight with this. Here am I looking out on you tonight. Some of you, many of you, most of you, are engrafted into the vine. Some of you might look like you are engrafted into the vine, but you are not. How do you know? Well, you're bearing fruit. Or your conscience is alive. Or you've not been asleep for the last 20 minutes. If you're tired, that's okay. But if you're not, it's not. Or you just come along because you have to. Well... Sooner or later, every branch that does not bear fruit, he cuts back that it may bear more fruit. Now, that is the Christian who has lost their way. The pruning shears come out. How many of us here as Christians have had the pruning shears? All of us, I suspect. God brings about a set of circumstances that causes us to face up to a particular sin or issue in our life, and he deals with it. But second, there are branches that look like true believers, but they are not. The Lord Jesus is very direct, isn't he, in these wonderful passages. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And remember the person who said that, the next day would have nails nailed through his hands. There are branches that look like true believers, but they are not. Or there are branches that don't look like true believers, and they're right because they're not. And what is the evidence? They bear no fruit. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Bearing fruit is evidence of being a disciple. No fruit means they are not true believers. If your life is not being transformed, if you are not loving your fellow believers with a servant-hearted sacrificial love, if you are not seeking to lead people to Jesus, and that's not the same as being good at evangelism. I'm hopeless at evangelism, but I long for people to become Christians. If that love and desire is not there, then Jesus says you will be cut off from him and thrown into the fire, which is hell. These words are not meant to frighten us if we are believers. They are meant to galvanize people if they are not. And they are meant for preachers on Sunday nights in their sermons not to fudge the issue and to say that if you are not in Christ, if you are not engrafted into the vine that is Him, even if you might look like you are, then one day God will cut you off and you will burn. And remember always the truth of God's words are not meant to frighten us, but to love us into his kingdom. Maybe you've sat in church for years and the minister has always fudged around that bit of the Bible. Maybe I have. And God only says that to us out of love. How does he begin these verses? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe. Believe. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Bearing fruit that lasts by abiding in me. How are we to abide or remain in Jesus? How are we to stay close to the Lord Jesus? How is this not some kind of vague thing that we're supposed to do? I want something practical. You cannot get more practical than this. Obey my words and talk to me. Obey my words and pray. Obey my words and pray. When I was training to be a minister, Victor, who was the minister of this church, uh, said this to me about preaching. He said, if you're in any doubt at the end of your sermon, and if it's been complete incoherent rubbish, the closing or cleansing application should be, go home and read your Bible and pray. <laughs> could do worse, couldn't you? Read your Bible and pray. It's been said that 90% of sermons end like that, or go and do Likewise. Or go and do better. That's a bad end to a sermon. Read your Bible and pray. Here's the only sermon ever in history where the Bible passage ends with read your Bible and pray. That's the application. Read your Bible and pray. Read God's words and talk to words with words to God. How are we to remain close to Jesus? What are the keys to close fellowship with the Lord Jesus? Obey my word and pray. Read your Bibles and pray. Humbly listen to God's word. Humble listeners, 
Faithful prayers remain close to Jesus and bear fruit that lasts. Just look at uh, the text so I can show you verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Words that I have spoken to you. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abode in my... These things, verse 7, I have spoken to you. Verse 14, you are my friends. If you do what I command you, we abide in Jesus by obeying his words and praying. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that you should abide so that whoever, whatever you ask in my Father's name, he may give to you. So go home and read your Bibles and pray each day. You know, when people become members of a church, they promise to read their Bibles and pray every day, depending on God's grace. Why? So they might abide in him so the Holy Spirit might have its course in their lives, so they might bear fruit that lasts, that they might glorify God. Obey God's word, pray to him, and you will remain in Jesus close to him. Now, I said my wife was not a very good gardener earlier, and I'm not going to be forgiven for that for a long, long time. Let me say this about her, and it's rare for me to embarrass her like this, but it is true. Every day of her life, she gets up, and she reads the Bible, and she prays. Every day, with a rhythm that's always there. Every day, every day, every day. And what do I see looking on to the person who is closest to me? Someone who bears fruit that lasts. And to me, if I'm honest, often in my life as a Christian, the basic fuel for that is elusive. But you will know, by the way I preach, whether or not I am doing these things behind closed doors, day in and day out. There's such a simplicity to God's Word you know, reading our Bibles and praying every day is not elusive to any of us. It's not special. It's just, it's got a ring of authenticity to it. Bearing fruit that lasts isn't being some kind of megastar in the church. It's being godly, loving others, loving those who are lost, And then finally, thus experiencing love and joy. Now, one of the great myths that travels around the church or the wider church at large is these, is our Bible-believing Christians, whatever a Christian who is not a Bible-believing Christian is, I don't know, but a Bible-believing Christian or somebody who really tries to live by the Bible each day 
It's just a kind of authority thing. And to be fair, that's the language we use perhaps too much. Christ rules the church by his word. And that's right. That's the language of 1 Timothy. But here we are in John. To be under the rule of the words of God is to experience the love of Jesus and joy. It's taken us too long in our series on 1 Timothy and John 14 to 17 to join the two up. 1 Timothy is hard as the Lord teaches us how we ought to behave in the household of God. That's like quite strong. John 14 to 17 says to us, if you do these things, verse 10, look at it there. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. If you obey my words, you will remain in my love, not in my good books, in my love. These things I have spoken to you, that your that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The joy of the Lord, Jesus' joy. Obedience to God's words is not only how we remain in his love and are fruitful, it is the route to joy. Let me close with Don Carson. It's always slightly humbling and discouraging when you pick up a commentary like this and read it and you thought, okay, then I'll just have to read that out. But God has blessed the church with people like him. I've met Don Carson a few times. He used to stay with us in London when we ran these conferences. One of the great things about him is that what he writes in his 50-odd books is absolutely true for him as a person. I once uh, remember a a conversation at the Faith Mission Bible Convention over lunch, and I was sitting beside Don Carson. I'm not name-dropping, I just was. I just was, okay, don't read it the wrong way. And there was a couple opposite us, an old couple, and they said, we know we're so excited, you know, we're going to hear Don Carson, I wonder what he's like, I bet he's scary, and all this, and... uh, And over the whole of that meal for 45 minutes, all he did was talk to them about their family and his family and his love for the Lord Jesus. And at the end of it, he got up and went away and he said to me, do you know who that was? And I said, nothing. But that's such a powerful witness, isn't it? He tried very hard in that conversation to make people not know who he was. Listen to this. The joy Jesus promises is not merely some cheap glow which depends on outward circumstances. It is the profound delight of the godly man or woman who delights in the law of the Lord. That's Psalm 1 that Fiona read from earlier. It is the sublime gladness and steadiness and restfulness of wholehearted, unfettered obedience to Jesus' words. Every Christian who has traveled any distance on his or her pilgrimage knows this to be so. Their deepest joy in life springs from periods 
when they have obeyed Christ with unreserved commitment, when some difficult decision with complex moral overtones thrusts itself upon them and they reject various sinewy trails in favor of an unqualified adherence to the highest path for Jesus' sake, then they experience joy that can leave them speechless. Jesus experienced the joy of a completely fruitless life, primarily because he was obedient to his Father. And he desires that his followers share to the greatest extent that same fruitful joy, which is not by seeking after some special blessing. It is by being utterly obedient to Jesus in his words. Well, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for that uh, succinct and helpful way to land the plane. Lord, we pray that as a church family, we will be a church that bears fruit that lasts. We pray that people will come into this community and see people who are different, who are growing, who love the Lord, who love one another, who will do stuff for one another that is sacrificial and committed and godly. Help us, Lord, to bear fruit that lasts by remaining close to you, Lord Jesus, through obeying your words and praying. Help us, Lord, to rekindle these habits if they are lost, of reading your words and speaking to you each day. Not to make us clean in your eyes, for we are clean and forgiven. Your word tells us that. But that we might remain close to you and bear fruit. And if, Lord, you are pruning us in our Christian lives, that you might bring us back, help us to feel the Gardener's shears as loving. And Lord, may we as a church, not least as we study 1 Timothy, which is not easy, may we experience that impossible equation that obeying Jesus' words is how we experience Jesus' love and how we experience the sublime gladness of joy in the Lord. For Jesus' sake. Amen.